tonight. Tonight we're going to continue our Book of Acts Bible study. I usually try to break that up about every couple of weeks. I don't want to burn anybody out on the Book of Acts. Amen. How many has been enjoying our Book of Acts Bible study? We're uh, chapters 15 and 16 tonight, so we've been all the way through 14. Amen. How many know it's important not just to read the Word of God, but to understand the Word of God? Amen. Amen. The Scripture says, my people, my people, uh, had a loss of thought there. My people, um, <laughs> anyway, it says something about lack of knowledge. <laughs> my people, uh, I don't know, say perish? I can't remember the Scripture now. It was in my head, and there it went. That happens with age. My people are destroyed. Thank you, Jesus. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Amen. So we we need to have we need to have a a working knowledge of the Word of God. Amen. Tonight we're going to get into the Book of Acts, chapter chapters fifteen and sixteen, and I've I've entitled these two chapters what praise does for the prisoner. The book of Acts chapters 15 and 16, and I've entitled these two sections, What Praise Does for the Prisoner. Amen. Just like every week that we do our book of Acts Bible study, we're going to do a brief introduction. Uh, this is something that you've heard many times already, but it's, it's something that we've got to get down in our hearts. Amen. So that when you're teaching people Bible studies, when you're witnessing to people about the book of Acts, amen, you have a good, solid foundation to build on, amen. So what's so special about the book of Acts? Well, the book of Acts is the centerpiece of your Bible, plain and simple. The book of Acts is the centerpiece of your Bible. And you say, pastor, you say, preacher, how can you say that? I say that because... Everything prior to the book of Acts points to the book of Acts. Everything in the Gospels, Jesus' earthly ministry, it all points to the coming of God's church. It all points to the coming of the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And so everything prior to the day of Pentecost or to the book of Acts Everything prior to that, it points to the events in the book of Acts. And then everything after the book of Acts, all of the pastoral epistles, the Pauline epistles, all of the uh, apostolic epistles, all of those point back to the book of Acts. And so everything prior to Acts points to it. Everything after Acts points back to it. And, and, it, and it pulls... It refers to the book of Acts as a means by which it can evaluate if something is an acceptable practice, if something is an acceptable doctrine. Amen. If you go through the epistles after the book of Acts, you see that they draw from the doctrines established in the book of Acts. Last week I, talk, I taught on the um, doctrine of the apostles, or the apostles' doctrine. Amen. The apostles' doctrine was founded in the book of Acts. Amen. And so the book of Acts, 
uh, is the foundational guide for the New Testament church. Now, the major event that occurs in Acts chapter 2, we know, is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It occurred at the, the Feast of Pentecost. Amen. This was the first time in, in history that God poured out His Spirit to indwell or dwell in the hearts of men. Now, the Spirit of God, the Bible tells us, had always moved upon men and inspired men. But in John chapter 14, I believe, Jesus prophesies, and He said that there's going to come a day that I'm not only going to be with you, He said there's going to come a day that I will be in you. Brothers and sisters, when you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you have the Spirit of Jesus Christ indwelling in your heart. Amen. Amen. And so, this was a monumental day, a historic day, because for the first time, and there were many Old Testament prophecies that pointed to this, and even some New Testament teachings of Jesus that we're going to touch on here in a minute, but for the first time, the Spirit of God was poured out as it was prophesied, and it was poured out to the Jews first. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 tells us that salvation was first for the Jews. Amen. Amen. This was also the day that the plan of salvation was given. The, the feast of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, this was the birthday of the New Testament church. And so you can't have a church if you don't have a plan on how to get into the church. Amen. How many understand that you, when you are born again, you are born into the church of the living God? Amen. And so you couldn't very well establish a church and not be able to tell anybody how to get into it. And so when the Apostle Peter stood up after the Holy Ghost was poured out, the Bible says there was 120 that was filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. They poured out into the streets of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem would have been full. There would, there would literally have been hundreds of thousands of Jews there that day, and that one event really brought Jerusalem to a standstill. And so, just like people do today, they were, they were watching, they were listening, they looked at one another, they said, what meaneth this? Others begin to mock. Some of them said, don't listen to any of these people, they're, they're drunk. That's when the Apostle Peter, he stood up and he said, these are not drunk as ye suppose. He said, but this, what you're seeing right here, he said, this is that. And then he quotes Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said, in the last day, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Brothers and sisters, there's a reason today that there are people in all kinds of denominational churches getting the Holy Ghost and talking in tongues. There's a reason today that there are portions of the Roman Catholic Church, amen, that are talking in tongues in their services. There's, a, there's, there's a, a reason today that there's many types of Baptist churches, Methodist churches, all different types of denominal churches that people are speaking in tongues. Why? Because God said it doesn't really matter what the name on your sign out by the road is. He said any hungry heart that will believe and seek after me 
He said, I will fill it. Jesus said, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst for righteousness. He didn't say, blessed are the Pentecostals. He didn't say, blessed are the Methodists. He said, blessed are they. He said, whoever is hungry. He said, in thirst. He said, this is what's going to happen. They shall be filled. Amen. Amen. And so I want to encourage somebody today, this Holy Ghost, it's for everybody. I don't care. I don't care what the name on your sign is. I don't care what your grandma believed and what your grandpa believed. Amen. If you're hungry, Jesus said, I'll fill you. Amen. Sister Lisa, you got to help me. You got to help me, okay? I don't, I try not to get excited on Tuesdays. Teaching pastor tonight, not preaching pastor. So very quickly, let's just review uh, some Old Testament scriptures that point to the coming events at Pentecost. Isaiah 28 and verse 11, the prophet 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Amen. I've already referenced Joel 2.28, but here's what the prophet Joel said. He said, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Brothers and sisters, I am seeing more testimonies right now of people having dreams than I have ever seen in my life. More and more people I see on Facebook, preachers in certain, in certain preacher forums that I, that I belong to, talking about, brothers, I had this dream, what do you think of this? Can you interpret this? Amen. But God said that's what's going to happen in those last days. How many believe that God's trying to get our attention? Amen. amen, amen. Then there's some New Testament scripture that point to the coming events of Pentecost. Amen. All of them prophesied by Jesus. Why? Because he knew what was coming. It was his plan. Amen. John 14, 16 through 18, Jesus said this. He said, I'll pray the Father, and He's going to give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. I love this part. I, love, I, I pray this a lot. He said, even the spirit of truth. Oh, Jesus, how we need the spirit of truth today. Oh, how we lack a spirit of truth today. He said, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But I love this part here. He said, but you know him because he's standing right in front of you. That's what he said. He said, you know him because he dwells with you. He said, you want to see the spirit of truth? Just look right here. He said, you know him because he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then Jesus identifies what the, who the spirit of truth is. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He didn't say, I'm going to send somebody different. He didn't say, I'm going to send a, a, a different spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He said, I am going to come. It's going to be my spirit that will dwell in you. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus told the apostles this. He said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. As I said before, Acts 2 was the birthday of the New Testament church. Why do we need to have a working knowledge of the book of Acts? 
Amen. Because if the New Testament church was founded in the book of Acts, then Brother Joel, the book of Acts is the blueprint for the New Testament church. Now, Brother Joel, you probably know more about blueprints than just about anybody in here. You don't go to work on a job without prints. Those prints that you showed us in there that day, that, those are some complicated prints. Amen. But if you want to know how to build something right and how to make it true, hey man, you got to refer back to the design because the designer, he's the one that knows how he wants everything to look. Amen. And so if we want to know what the church is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to believe, how it's supposed to function, amen, then we need to know what it says in the book of Acts. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So tonight, we're going to continue... Uh, we're going to continue in our uh, Bible study. We're going to go through uh, chapters 15 and chapter 16. And then we'll go, we'll refer back to our handouts. Um, everybody has a good time with multiple choice, filling in the blanks. It's a lot of fun. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 1. The Bible says, In certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren, and said, Except you be circumcised, after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, in other words, they had an argument with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and the elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed. These were uh, Pharisees that believed on Jesus. And they said it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referring to Acts chapter 10. When Peter went to Cornelius' house and he preached Jesus and God poured out the Holy Ghost on the Gentiles, and then Peter turned around and baptized them all in Jesus' name. That's what he's referring to here. Verse 8, <clears throat> And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answering, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, or Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for His name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written, 
And this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, pay very close attention right there. All of the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them from which the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas named Barsabbas, and Silas and chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised to keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from the meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you should do do well, fare you well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they believed, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord to see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take with him, uh, with him, to take him with them, who departed from, uh, who departed from them from, from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 15. So Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. What was the major dispute about between the believing Pharisees and Paul and Barnabas? Was it A, the Pharisees believed you had to 
believe on Jesus and keep the law of Moses to be saved? Was it B, the Pharisees believed there was no resurrection? Or was it C, Paul and Barnabas didn't believe the Pharisees could be saved? What was the major disagreement between Paul, Barnabas, and the Pharisees? A, B, or C? Anyone? Answer is A. A. Because the Pharisees believed in order for you to be saved that you, you had to keep the law of Moses and you had to believe that Jesus Christ was Lord. Amen. And, and so there arose that dispute between, I imagine it was between works and faith. Amen. Acts 15, verses 8 through 11. Peter testifies here of what they witnessed in Acts 10. What was it? Was it A, that God had given the Gentiles the Holy Ghost? Was it B, that God had given the Gentiles a separate plan of salvation? Or was it C, that God had only chosen a few Gentiles to be saved? A, Peter was referring to the house of Cornelius. That God had also poured out the Holy Ghost upon the Gentiles. Now, verse 11, verse 11, why is it necessary to understand why Peter says, he says it this way. Why is it necessary to understand this? He says, through grace we shall be saved, as opposed to through grace we are saved. He says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Why do you think it's important that Peter said we shall be saved versus we are saved? Here's an interesting little tidbit, brothers and sisters. You and I, we both have probably said at least once, I imagine, we've made, we've made the, uh, the declaration, that was the day I got saved. Or I'm saved. But here's the truth of the matter. Here's the truth of the matter. You ain't saved until the end. Okay, now I ain't trying to mess with nobody's theology here today. But Jesus said, they that endure until the end, the same shall. That word shall is future tense. The same shall be saved. Here's what we got to understand about salvation, brothers and sisters. Salvation isn't a one-time thing. Amen. You don't just get born again of the water and spirit and then you just set it on cruise control until you get to heaven. That's not how it works. Salvation is a daily condition of your soul. Amen. Salvation is a daily condition of your soul. That's the reason the Apostle Paul, he said, I crucify my flesh weekly. No, daily. In another scripture, he said, he, he, he referenced that to dying to himself. He said, I die daily. Why was that? Amen. Because he had to crucify his flesh and the lusts thereof so that he could walk in the salvation of God. Now, pastor, are you telling me I got to be fearful every single day that I'm going to lose my salvation? No, no, that's not what I'm telling you. 
That's not what I'm telling you. Because the Bible is very clear that there isn't anything that can separate you from the love of God. Except you. That's the only thing. The scripture names all kinds of things that can't separate you from the love of God. Hey man, but we can make choices that'll separate us from God. That's the reason you got to die daily. That's the reason you got to crucify your flesh. That's the reason you got to pray and so that you have strength. The Bible says that we move from faith to faith. Pastor, what are you trying to say? And I don't want to spend too much time here. What I'm trying to say is your faith that you have today is not going to get you through next week. Your faith that you have today is not suited to get you through next week. You need to move from faith to faith. Amen. And that happens in prayer. That happens in reading the Word of God. That happens when you come in, in, into fellowship with God in prayer. God strengthens you. Amen. That happens when you come to church. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Amen. When we come to church and we hear the preached Word of God, it's not just because, oh, hey, pastor does a good job preaching, or I wonder what pastor's going to preach on. Amen. It's how God dispenses grace and gives us faith. Amen. So that's the reason. Very long explanation. Hashtag long-winded. That's the reason that the Apostle Peter says in verse 11 that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Amen. How many is thankful for the blood, hallelujah, that cleanses us every day? Praise God. Chapter 15, verses 14 through 17. These four verses... Uh, sorry for my typo. These four verses deal very directly with one theme. What is it? Is it A, the tabernacle of David? B, the name of Jesus and having that name placed upon you? Or C, the words of the Old Testament prophets? Verses 14 through 17. Yep, B, the name of Jesus and having that name placed upon you. Let me, let me uh, pull a couple of scriptures out right here. Uh, starting at verse 14, he says that he had declared how God did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. There's the first mention of it. And then he goes on to quote an Old Testament prophet. And then in verse 17, he says that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And then all of the Gentiles, now there's a condition. He didn't say just all Gentiles in general. There's a specific condition here. He says, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. Does anybody know how you get the name of Jesus on you? Very good, Sister Joyce. When you go down in the water and somebody calls the name of the Lord over you, you take on the name of Jesus. That's the way it happened in the Old Testament. That's the way it happens in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when the name of the Lord was called over a place, a city, or a structure, the name of God was placed upon that. That, that city or that tabernacle, 
It became a, a particular or a peculiar treasure that belonged to the Lord. Amen. And so Peter says here, as he's, as he, or I'm sorry, James, as he's quoting here, he says, all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. Amen. And so he's talking in future tense about a specific group of Gentiles that have taken on the name of Jesus in baptism. Ooh, man, that's exciting. That's exciting. Sister Lisa, you're not doing a very good job tonight. You're going to have to get better. How many love Sister Lisa? How many would agree she just has a sweet spirit? Amen. Chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. The Bible says that Barnabas determined to take with them who? John, whose surname was Mark. And Paul agreed, yes or no? No. And so the Bible says that Barnabas departed with Mark while Paul joined up with who? Silas, and y'all are on a roll. Amen. Amen. Chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 1. This is a little shorter chapter than 15. Verse 1, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. Now remember that, that's important. Which was well, well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered uh, them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. It's the same decrees that, uh, that they were handing out about circumcision that we just covered in chapter 15. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden, this is interesting, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Did you get that? The Holy Ghost told them not to go to Asia and preach. Isn't that interesting? Or was there a plan, I wonder? After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Again, the Holy Ghost said no. How many understand tonight that sometimes you want to go and do something, and the Holy Ghost will tell you no? Amen. Amen. How many also believe it's good to just listen? Amen. It doesn't end well when you don't. And they passing through Mysia came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to uh, Samo, Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. This is where people would gather and pray. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. 
And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us and brought her masters much gain, or they made a lot of money, by her soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And did this she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having, after, or having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. He was going to make sure they wasn't going nowhere. And at midnight, help me, Sister Lisa, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword, and he would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and he sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour that night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all of his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant, saying, Let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto him, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans, because Paul was actually a citizen of Rome. He had Roman citizenship. <clears throat> and they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And when they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Everybody said, Amen. 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 
Acts chapter 16. Now this is kind of an interesting point here. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Why did Paul circumcise Timothy while they were actually out delivering the letters from the elders in Jerusalem stating that circumcision, circumcision wasn't necessary for the Gentiles? Seems a little ironic. Seems a little... Seems like a contradiction. Here, Paul meets up with Timothy because he's out, he's delivering these letters to the Gentile churches, telling them, don't worry what anybody tells you. If somebody comes and tells you, you must be circumcised to be saved. Here's a letter from the apostles and from the elders of Jerusalem telling you that you don't got to be circumcised. And yet he takes Timothy and he says, come on, Timothy, I got to circumcise you. I mean, much sense, does it? Well, probably old enough, old enough to be in a lot of pain. Was it A, Paul believed circumcision was necessary for salvation? Was it B, he wanted Timothy to be just like him? Or was it C, he believed it would give Timothy's ministry credibility among the Jews since his father was a Greek? C, I probably could have worded that different, so that one didn't like jump out and be so obvious. But that's what it was. That's truly what it was. It had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation, but the fact that Timothy was technically a Samaritan, technically, his mom was Jewish, his dad was a Greek, Paul saw the ministry that Timothy had, and Paul took Timothy under his wing. And he said, okay, Timothy, I, you know, the Apostle Paul, he made a comment in one of his letters. He said, I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. Amen. And so he said, Timothy, if you want credibility, if you want credibility with, with the Jews, if you want your ministry to have greater credibility, then you're going to need to be circumcised because that's going to give you favor with the Jews. That's going to cause them to take your, your ministry seriously. Amen. Amen. Chapter 16, verses 6 through 12. Paul and Silas desired to go into Asia to preach the gospel but the what suffered them not? The Spirit. They wanted to go into Asia and preach, but the Holy Ghost said, no, it's not time. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes, regardless of what you want to do, you need to listen to what the Spirit of God is telling you. I, I knew that I, I knew in 2012 I was going to pastor a church. In 2012, sitting in a church in Eaton, Ohio, I knew that the day would come I would pastor a church. I knew that. I just didn't know when. As a matter of fact, when the church in Eaton was going to come open, I actually put my name in the hat to pastor there. I thought that would be exciting. I, I knew I wouldn't have any problems getting voted in. I'd been a member there for quite a while. I preached there a lot. I knew that wouldn't be a problem. I was excited. I, I loved the city that I grew up in. I thought, this is going to be great. Until I got to praying about it, Brother Grayson. And the Lord said, take your name out. This isn't for you. As much as I wanted to pastor that church, it wasn't the will of God. And so I knew that if I went against the will of God, it would end in disaster. So I went to the pastor and I said, I want to withdraw my, my application. He said, Pray about it. I said, that's the reason I'm withdrawing my application. 
And so I just sat patiently and operated in whatever other ministry that God opened the door. We did Sunday school. We did youth ministry. And we just did whatever God wanted us to do until the Holy Ghost finally said yes. And now y'all are stuck with me. <laughs> Thank you, Sister Marley. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So they desired to go into Asia, but the Spirit suffered them not. In that same uh, passage, the man asking Paul for help came to him in A, a dream, came to him B, late at night, or came to him C, in a vision. C, he came to Paul in a vision. Amen. Chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, the Bible says that Lydia was converted. Now, what were the factors that contributed to this? I've named three here. There's three factors that uh, directly contributed to this woman's conversion. Number one, here's the first thing you've got to have to be converted to a Christian. Let me, let me just explain this very quickly. Nobody becomes a, a Christian simply because you say, I'm a Christian. I know a lot of people that claim to be Christians and don't act anything like a Christian. You're saying, well, pastor, is there a certain way I'm supposed to act? Yeah, like Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're supposed to love truth and love righteousness. Amen. So here's the first thing that Lydia had to have, because conversion, you always have to understand this. You've heard me preach this many times. Conversion happens in the heart. Conversion is a condition of your heart. And so here's the first thing you've got to have. You've got to have a hunger and you have to have an openness to the word of God. Lydia had both of those. She heard Paul and Silas, and she came to them, and she said, I want to hear more of what you're preaching. Lydia's heart was open to God. Amen. She had a desire, and that the Lord opened her heart to receive Paul's teaching. How do we know that? Because right after that, it says that she obeyed the gospel. She was baptized, both her and her house. If you want to know what the gospel is, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. It spells out very clearly that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you obey the death, burial, and resurrection? You obey it through repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. She obeyed the gospel. And I just, the what does this mean? I just explained that. So, Chapter 16, verses 16 through 24 where it gets interesting. The demon-possessed damsel made her master's money by predicting future events, true or false? True, by soothsaying. Now, we don't know to what degree. The Bible doesn't go into detail as to what degree. Or, or you know, we know that, that Satan does not know the end from the beginning. But we also know that <clears throat> Satan is very good at his craft, and his craft is deception. And so this, this young lady being demon-possessed was able in some way to cause people to believe that she knew what was coming, and then her masters made a lot of money off, off of, uh, uh, it was may, maybe it was your first 1-900 psychic hotline, right? Amen. Call me now. Call me now. But they made a lot of, ma a lot of money off of her, <clears throat> So why did her masters 
uh, take Paul and Silas before the magistrates and accuse them? Was it A, because the gospel was outlawed in that city? Was it B, they lost their gains after Paul cast out the devil from the damsel? Or C, they were from out of town? B. B, because they, they, they just lost money. Amen. And it says they took Paul and Silas, they stripped off their clothes, they laid stripes across their back, and they thrust them to the innermost part of the prison. Amen. Chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. In the darkest hour of the night, Paul and Silas, what? Prayed and sang praises unto God. Amen. There's a lesson to be learned here. They're in a bad situation. Dark place. The Bible says that they made sure their feet were in the fetters, man. They weren't going anywhere. They were chained to the wall. The door was shut. It was dark. And so there was two choices they could have made there. Brother Joel, they could have sat there and felt really sorry for themselves for the situation they were in. They could have sat there and begin to question God and say, God, is this really, is this really the ministry you have for me? Is this really the way that it ends? But that's not what they did. The Bible says, in the innermost part of the prison, in the darkest hour of the night, they begin to pray and to sing praises. Amen. And then it says this, when others heard them, I want you to catch that right there because I'm getting ready to expound on this. When others heard them, there was an earthquake that caused what? A, a spontaneous praise among the prisoners. B, they all got together and formed a choir. Or C, all the prison doors were open. C, all the prison doors were open. Now there's something to be said here, brothers and sisters. You've heard me say this before, and I always want us to remember this here at New Life. Your praise is not always for you. It's not. It's not. You may come into church on any given Sunday or Tuesday, and everything in your life could be going wrong. You could have come in here tonight, and you had the worst day at work that you could have. Boss was mean to you. You, you, you spilled your lunch in your lunchbox. I don't know. But you could have had a really bad day today. Everything is going wrong. And you could walk in here and say, you know what? I showed up for church and God just ought to be happy I'm here. But I'm not worshiping. I'm not praising. I'll lift my hands. I'll, I'll look Pentecostal. I'll go through the motions. But brothers and sisters, you don't know what that person that's going to walk through that door coming in here in bondage, you don't know what kind of prison cells your brothers and sisters could be facing in here tonight. The Bible says that not everybody in the prison was singing. It said that Paul and Silas was singing. But when they heard them singing, when they heard them praying, amen, that's when the foundation was shaken. And not just Paul and Silas's doors was open. It says everybody doors was open. So sometimes, brothers and sisters, your praise and your worship will open the prison doors for somebody else in the church. That's truth. That's truth. Come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord. So you got to remember, I've had a bad day. I've come in here and, and, and I'm, not, 
I don't even feel like worshiping. I don't feel like praising. Hey, man, but there could be an alcoholic come through that door right there. There could be a drug addict. There could be somebody coming through that door that said, if I can't find some help in there, I'm just going to go home and end it all. Hey, man, you don't know what kind of cells and prisons, hey, man, that people's minds are locked up in. People's families are locked up in. Hey, man, and then they come in here. I'm telling you, if praise and shouting and worship could drop the walls around Jericho, hey, man, it can open any prison door that walks through the doors of this church. When God gave me this revelation years ago, I realized, Brother Grayson, that it really didn't matter how I felt when I got into church. I wasn't just going to sit around and do nothing. Amen. That when I had the opportunity, maybe the brother or the sister or the guest behind me, amen, maybe they were locked up in some kind of prison. Maybe they were in their darkest hour. Amen. But if they could hear me give glory to God, if they could hear me worship with everything I've got, amen. If God opened, if God opened the prison doors for those that just heard, He can still do it today. One more time, one more outburst like, yeah, you're fired. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. But that's truth. That's truth. That's truth. Amen. Amen. Chapter 16, verses 30 through 33. How do we know that Paul's statement... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. How do we know that that was more than just a mental belief? It says that in verse 31, well, in verse 30, the, the jailer, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It was the exact same question the Jews asked the apostles in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, wouldn't it be interesting if Paul's answer was different than Peter's? Wouldn't that kind of be a contradiction? Wouldn't that mean that your Bible contradicts itself? Especially since, in, we're not there yet, but in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, Paul gives a whole different plan of salvation, which is actually the same plan of salvation that Peter gives in Acts 2. So is there a contradiction here? How do we know if there is or if there isn't? Very simple. No, not really simple, but I'll explain it anyway. Paul said, believe on the Lord. When the Bible says to believe on the Lord, it is not talking about some mental gymnastics. Believe on the Lord, if you look at the, at the base interpretation of that, it means to to act by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, James said that faith without works is what? Amen. Faith is an action word. Faith is not a mental belief. Faith is not something that you just feel, quote-unquote, in your heart. Faith always produces a response from the hearer. That's the reason when the Word of God goes forth and the preaching goes forth, when you come to the altar, that is your response. You are acting by faith to what you just heard preached. And God always honors faith. Always. 
And so, how do we know that it was more than just mental? Because in verse uh, 31, he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved uh, in thy house. Verse 33, And he took them the same hour of the night, he washed their stripes, and then one happened to the jailer and all of his house. They all got baptized. So if all he had to do was simply believe in his head that they were saved, if all he had to do was just ask Jesus to come into his heart, that's the end of it. But that's not what happened. What the Bible implies but doesn't directly say is that Paul preached the same thing to the Philippian jailer that he preached to the disciples of John the Baptist in, John and Ver, in Acts 19 verses 1 through 6. I'm going to go there real quick. Because I, I know we're skipping ahead, but I just want to give this to you real quick before we close. So why would Paul preach one thing to the Macedonian, to the Philippian jailer, and then preach something else to the disciples of John the Baptist just three chapters later? Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples. Here's the only two things Paul wanted to know. You guys ever picked up a cereal box and read the ingredients? You know the most prevalent thing, the most important thing in that is listed in the first couple ingredients, right? Well, here's the two things he wanted to know. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And, he said, and they said unto him, We've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Here's the second thing he wanted to know. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Now watch this. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. And so, brothers and sisters, Paul wasn't telling the Philippian jailer to do anything different than he did the disciples of John the Baptist right here. Amen. The Bible just implies it. It doesn't come out and directly say it. But Paul's not going to go and teach one thing to this group of people and teach this to this group of people. Amen. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Amen. And so we know that he must have preached that because he turned around and baptized him. Amen. Amen. You want to be born again of water and spirit like Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 5? You got to repent. You got to turn from your old life. You got to uh, turn away from you being the Lord of your life. Amen. You need to go down in water and have the name of the Lord Jesus Christ called over you for the remission of your sins. You need to take on the name of Jesus in baptism. Amen. And then God will resurrect your heart. Amen. In Ezekiel chapter 36, he said, I'll take out of you that old stony heart. Amen. He said, and I'll put in you a heart of flesh. He said, I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my commandments and in my statutes. Amen. Amen. The Holy Ghost is the resurrection, brothers and sisters. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Amen. Why do we need to understand the book of Acts? This is why we need to understand the book of Acts. Amen. Amen. It's the power of the church. It's the power of the first century church. It's the blueprint for the church. I don't know about you tonight, but I want to pastor a book of Acts church. 
Amen. I want to be a part of a Book of Acts church. Amen. Uh, brother, brother Carl, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to deviate from that blueprint. I want to do everything that they said we can do in this book. I want to be everything that they said we are in this book. Amen. I want to operate in that same Holy Ghost and that same power that they did in this book. Amen. Amen. Let's stand here tonight. We're going to dismiss in prayer. Are there any questions or comments about our Bible study here tonight? Sister Lisa? I forgive you. Amen, amen. If you're thankful for the word of the Lord, oh, hallelujah. If you're thankful in a world that has no value for truth, if you're thankful for truth tonight, amen, would you lift your voice to the Lord, hallelujah, and just thank Him for the church. Would you just thank Him for truth tonight? Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Would you thank Him for the truth that He shed abroad in your heart tonight? Uh, Almighty God, we thank You tonight. Oh, hallelujah, God. We thank You, Lord, for this truth. Uh, we thank You, Lord, God, for this wonderful church, Lord. Hallelujah, God, that You have purchased with Your blood. We thank You, Lord, for this truth, God, that You have shed abroad in our hearts. Oh, God, I pray in this hour, Lord, God, give us a greater love for truth. God, help us, Lord, I pray here tonight, God, to be a book of Acts church, Lord, help us, God, I pray to be a holy and a righteous people, help us, God, I pray, Lord, to be the church that you have ordained, God, I pray for this hour, Lord, for this community, God, for this city, Lord, for every hungry and hurting heart, God, that would walk through the doors of this church. I pray God help us to operate in the Holy Ghost, Lord. God, fill every heart in this place, in every life. Fill every household, oh God. I pray with the Holy Ghost. Give us, God, I pray, the desires of our heart. God, I pray help us to be a church that prays with a burden, God. I pray tonight, Lord God, over every heart and every soul in this church. Oh, God, help us, I pray, in this hour, Lord. We thank you tonight, God. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.